This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. This is going to be that time of year, I guess, where I look at Lincoln Riley and he's making some moves as I see him at USC. So I'm going to take to my eye, Josh, and tweet out, oh, Lincoln Riley's making some moves, which is a fact. And then uh, 80% of the college football public is going to come right back at me and say, heard that before? Well, not from me. You hadn't. I hadn't ever bragged about Lincoln Riley's defensive moves. And you know what? Maybe even this will be a moot point, but I'm happy he's at least trying. We're jam-packed. We're high atop a recovering downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Saw my 11th tornado yesterday. That's the good news. The bad news is it ended very, very poorly. We had loss of life here in two different portions of this area. Uh, That's why if you were following, you know, on my social channels, a lot of times when we go storm chasing, that's a real thing, by the way, when we go storm chasing, I'll give you a lot of footage. We had loss of life yesterday, so I didn't do that because it's really not something you want to celebrate. So um, it's been an active weekend here in Nashville, Tennessee, Sunday night, December 10th. Now the overlord 2023, we do have a lot of college football to talk about. Uh, Award season is just messed up right now. And I'm going to try and offer some suggestions, humbly, as we always do, to try and fix what I see to be a pretty big mess. It's not a this-year thing. It's been a multi-year thing. I got transfer portal scoop to dish out to you tonight. Many of you have been asking, when are you going to talk about Billy Napier and Florida's class falling apart? And my answer has been, well, I want to wait for it to fall apart first. I think that's reasonable. And so, you know, there are some rumblings and there are some things that have happened. I'm going to touch on it a little bit tonight. Also... One of you have said what I think many of you are thinking about Duke's new head coach, Manny Diaz. And we're going to go down the road that we've gone down with other coaches before. I'm going to give you some very similar thoughts you've probably heard from me if you've watched the show for a long time, just about new hires and how you never really know how a new hire is going to go. Case in point, you remember how many people doubted Sark at Texas? Playoff-bound Steve Sarkeesian, the playoff-bound Texas Longhorns. Yeah, anyway, they're watching us in Richland, Virginia, Davenport, Florida, Reno, Nevada, and Pine Mountain, Georgia, Harris County's only active volcano, from what I'm told. I have an idea. I need your help. Uh, this is going to be about a 20-second request, and we're moving into the show, so don't, don't hit fast forward. No need to do that. I need you to give me some names. So we got Christmas coming up. Uh, Jesse and Colin haven't had an off day in like eight years at this point. So we're going to take some time, not a lot, but we're going to take some time over the next couple of weeks and we're going to let folks go home. We're going to have a little bit of, dare I say, a Christmas vacation, but I need content on the channel. So what I want to do is crank up the old Pate State Speaker Series and I want to find between one and three people that you want to see on the show, not to fill in for me, but for me to have a conversation with. Now, These could be really names that come from all walks of college football or media in general. I'm open to suggestions. I don't need it in the live chat or in the comment section. I need it on the socials, uh, mainly because I want these people to be made aware that they are wanted on the show. And you know what? Maybe we'll find two or three that we think fit the requirements to appear here on Late Kick. And maybe some good content will result from it. All right, let's dive into the show tonight. I've got some very, very important pressing topics that I need to address with all of you. College football award season is upon us. Jaden Daniels, paid state material, won the Heisman Trophy last night. He is who I would have voted for, so I have no problem with Jaden Daniels winning the Heisman Trophy. But I got a bigger question for you, and the question is rhetorical. Who's voting on awards in college football? Who should be voting? for awards in college football. 
do the people who are voting, by and large, even watch a lot of college football? And are you satisfied? I went on Twitter today. I, I took a very scientific poll. This is as scientific as it gets, people. And I asked, are you satisfied with how college football awards are voted on? Jesse, what are the results even at, by the way? The last time I checked, here we go. We have an update. Uh, are you satisfied with how awards are voted on in this sport? 83.8% of you say no. Now, I know those of you who actually understand scientific data, research, and whatnot, you would say, that's a loaded question. Not to mention... People always think they're dissatisfied, so there's going to be a natural public lean towards the no. I know that. I'm baking all that in. So let's just pretend it was 70% no. That's still a super-duper majority, which is a political term. Super-duper majority. You rarely see it on a political map, but we have it on the college football map. And that's why I have a feeling nothing will change. Why? Because most of you want it to change, and that's just never the way this sport works, is it? Let me uh, tell you what doesn't bother me. Apparently, a lot of things bother a lot of you. I want to start our talk tonight by telling you what doesn't bother me, whether it's the Thorpe or the Bolitnikoff or the Heisman Trophy. I don't care if my guy doesn't win. That doesn't bother me. My guy happened to win the Heisman Trophy this year. I would have voted for Jaden Daniels based on what I think is important when we're crowning the most outstanding player in college football. I don't mind so much if my guy doesn't win. If Michael Penix would have taken this thing home last night, uh, it wouldn't have been the biggest travesty or injustice in the world to me. I don't even mind when I see the results tabulated and handed out, and there are outstanding ballots. For example, someone voted J.J. McCarthy as their number one. Now, I personally look at that and go, there is no way. But if we could pinpoint that voter, and that voter could walk us through his or her logic and their reasoning, I'd be okay with it if it made sense. If they said go blue in your face, that wouldn't make sense and they wouldn't really deserve a vote. Uh, Jalen Milrow got four first place votes. I wouldn't have voted Milrow number one, number two, or number three. But if someone could walk me through their logic and it made sense and it was clear that they had taken time, done their due diligence, thought it through, and based on what they value, Milrow was number one, that's cool. Never had a problem with that. Never will have a problem with that. Believe it or not, in something as serious as college football even, reasonable minds can disagree. Here's what does bother me deeply. If your vote cannot withstand even mild critique, that bothers me. If I were to put you on the stand and you couldn't talk me through it, if I put you on the stand and you couldn't really even tell me a whole heck of a lot about the other finalists, that's a big problem and you don't need to be voting on the Heisman Trophy, you don't need to be voting on a PTA election, for that matter. If you can't tell me about the field, if you can't walk me through to a logical conclusion on how you voted, you don't need to be voting. And secondly, the amount of voters, when we look at the Heisman Trophy, is absurd. It's insane. Do you understand that there are, I think at last check, there are 870 members of the esteemed college football or sporting media who vote on the Heisman Trophy. Who? Whomst are we talking about? I go to the national championship game every year. That is the biggest media contingent that you'll see in this sport. There aren't 870 credentialed media at the national title game. Who are we talking about here? Now, I don't want to go single people out because there are a ton of people way more qualified than me and who have watched this sport longer than I've been alive, and I have immense amounts of respect for their acumen, both covering this sport and understanding the sport, uh, but that's a case-by-case -case basis. Uh, the bottom line is, if we were to kick over the ant bed that is the Heisman voter registry, there would be a lot of people who have no business on that list. None. And I am not going to take it upon myself to do that because I don't have access to that information. The Heisman folks do. And I doubt that they're going to release those roles anytime soon because you would see that there are names there. It would be like basically in the movie Major League, you know, when Rachel Phelps strips the entire team down, strips the payroll down, and she's trying to put together a team so bad that they'll finish last and they can move the team from Cleveland to Miami. And they're meeting in the front office there in January. And she says, here's a list of the players that we'll be inviting to spring training. I've, I've never heard of most of these guys, and the ones I have heard of are well past their prime. And then some guy over in the corner says, this guy here is dead. 
I have a feeling if we looked at the Heisman voter rolls, it wouldn't be too dissimilar to the movie Major League. There are some names on there that don't need to be on there. And there's some names on there who really don't take their vote seriously. I'm going to suggest something, again, very radical here, but you're going to have to just follow me blindly and trust here. There are people who vote on the Heisman Trophy that don't watch a lot of college football. There are people who vote on the Heisman Trophy that don't necessarily care a great deal about college football. It may be their second, third, or fourth sport. And I lean in close for this one. There are people out of that 870, whomstever they are, who vote on college football's most prestigious award who don't have an ounce of love for college football. And you got a lot of folks out here who do, who have never sniffed a Heisman vote. I sound bitter. Um, let me backtrack. I don't, I don't have a Heisman vote, if you're wondering about that. I have never, I've never been, um, it's never bothered me I don't have one. It's bothered me a lot more knowing some of the folks who do have one. I would really love to condense that list. And it, listen, here's my proposal. I don't need to be a Heisman voter. I simply need to be the commissioner of college football. And when I am college football commissioner, I am going the total opposite way that I would go economically if I ran a state or a country. I'm nationalizing the voting process. And secondly, I am instituting what I would call an annual college football cognition test. And that is basically going to be required of every voter for every one of these awards. And if you can't pass it, you don't get a vote. And it could be a test that asks you questions that range from what is Arizona State's mascot to can you name 10 of the 14 offensive coordinators in the SEC? Um, anything and everything could be on the table. Basically, I need you to prove to me that you are intimately familiar with the sport. And I need you to prove to me in that given year that you've been paying attention. I know what happens most of the time. I go on the road every week. I go to a game every week. It is a chore to get back and then watch the games you missed. A lot of these folks are doing that. A lot of these folks work for a local beat, regional, national. A lot of these folks are at games. They see the game they go to. They see highlights of the other games. And by and large, they're not going back. It takes a lot of time, a lot of time to go back and watch games you missed on Saturday. It's hard enough to watch them all if you're plopped on a couch on Saturday. So... Um, the, the, the voting process in general, like I look, at, I look at Marvin Harrison Jr., one of the best receivers we've seen come through our game. He won the Bolitnikoff Award. Marvin Harrison shouldn't have won the Bolitnikoff Award this year. Marvin Harrison Jr. wasn't the most outstanding wide receiver in college football this year. It's just that there are a ton of folks who voted on that award who couldn't even tell you who Malik Neighbors is, which is insane because Neighbors is a stud. But it goes to show you. I'm not even talking about digging into a depth chart, guys. I'm asking you to know the best wide receiver on one of the premier teams in the country whose quarterback won the Heisman, by the way. So LSU, is not, it's not like this backwoods no-name program. The LSU Tigers, I believe most of you have heard of them. I got folks voting for the Bolitnikoff who couldn't tell you anything about Bleak Neighbors. That's a problem because he's a wide receiver, a really good one. And I got folks who vote for the best wide receiver in the country who couldn't tell you a whole lot about him. They know Marvin Harrison because Ohio State has done a heck of a job marketing and getting the name Marvin Harrison Jr. out there. Marvin Harrison Jr. has done a heck of a job with his play on the field getting his name out there. This is not one of those, let me tear down the other guy to build up my guy. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a great player. Uh, he wasn't the best receiver in college football this year, but a great player. Now, maybe if I put him in LSU's offense, or maybe if I put Jaden Daniels in Columbus, Ohio, it would have been a different story. That's all part of it. I'm not here to knock Marvin Harrison Jr. Wonderful player. My point is, there are people who vote on this stuff that have no business voting on this stuff. And um, I think if you were provided a list, or you just observe the process that a lot of these folks go through, the due diligence that is or isn't done, I think you'd probably agree with me. And I don't think a lot of you are shocked to hear this, by the way. I just think nationalizing this thing instead of sticking to the regional approach that we've had for like 800 years and requiring a basic college football cognition test to be passed for these folks to vote on this award would greatly alleviate a lot of this. Here's the third proposal. Just let Big Game Boomer put together a list of about 100 people and have them vote on it. The end. Big Game Boomer, Heisman Trophy voter roll. I think he'll be on it by tomorrow. 
and it'll be so colorful and probably a lot more appropriate than the current process. I need to tell you something. This is not like a once upon a Saturday tour announcement because the once upon a Saturday tour is done. Now we have bowl games and playoffs, but I did have a lot of you ask, hey, where are you going for bowl season? Because for whatever reason, people care. Um, so I'm going to tell you now I have, you know what? Let's do it like the Heisman trophy. I can announce that we will be headed to Los Angeles, California on December 29th. It looks like here, and we will be in SoCal through the new year. I will be one of the last people in the continental U S to ring in 2024 because we'll be all the way out on the West coast and we will be in the Rose bowl on January 1st for Alabama versus Michigan. So now that's official. Print the t-shirts, even though we won't have t-shirts for that in the Pate State store. But figuratively, print the t-shirts. We'll be out there looking forward to it. You know me. I look for any excuse to be in Southern California, especially in January. The transfer portal, still on fire, and we are still talking about it. Dylan Gabriel is now headed to Oregon. That was the starting quarterback for Oklahoma this year. And he's headed to the University of Oregon. And you know what this does to me, um, aside from the obvious, is it greatly raises the floor of the 2024 Oregon team. So Bo Nix is out the door after a great 18-year career in college football. And so you have to ask yourself, okay, well, who was going to follow him? Now, it's always easy to say, oh, Oregon will find someone. Well, they'll make every effort to do that. You don't have any guarantees in this sport. Ty Thompson is likely on the way out, former high four or five-star kid, depending on which service you trusted. He was not going to be the answer there. Great kid, not speaking ill of him, but he was not going to be the answer there. And so you hoped, you know, if you live up there, you fingers crossed, you hoped you would have your guy. Well, now you've got your guy. They may not be done, by the way. They may not be done shopping for QBs, whether it be the high school ranks or in the portal, but they know they got a proven commodity here. And that's a redshirt senior, so... He's played his fair share of ball at UCF. He's played at Oklahoma. And they're also in the mix for several other kids. Like, Oregon lost that Pac-12 championship game and just put the pedal down harder. That's, that's, you, if you're a fan, you can afford to sulk. If you're Dan Lanning, if you're those folks behind the scenes up there, you just got to start running harder and harder and harder. And you thought you were getting 100%. You got to get 107%. And uh, Dylan Gabriel is a big acquisition there. Speaking of quarterbacks on contending teams, Kyle McCord, you know, from Ohio State, also started wire to wire this year. He jumped in the portal. Julian Fleming, a wide receiver there, he's in the portal too. He's the number four overall receiver in the portal. Uh, McCord is the number nine quarterback in the portal right now. So it's interesting to watch because there is some thought out there that could be a package deal. I know Nebraska folks expect imminently a visit from both of them either already ongoing or early this week, whatever the case may be. Matt Rule's about to get a visit out of both of them, it looks like. And I was talking to producer Jesse earlier, and I, he, he said, you know, this sounds kind of like what Iowa tried to do. Iowa last year, if you'll remember, they took Cade McNamara, the quarterback from Michigan, and they took Eric All, the tight end from Michigan. And the problem is, like, Mahomes and Kelsey could go to Iowa, and Iowa would still be terrible offensively. So... For all we know, that model would work everywhere but Iowa. And so for all we know, Matt Rule, if he gets Kyle McCord and Julian Fleming, maybe it'll just be, it'll just be like, like a sparkler in the gasoline tank of Nebraska's offense. I know it would immensely upgrade what they were working with this year. I mean, what they were working with this year, to be clear, in terms of passing yards per game, was in the same neighborhood as Iowa, speak of the Hawkeyes, Army, Navy, and Air Force, I think, were the four teams. And you know what the other three have in common, and you know Iowa might as well be a service academy in terms of passing game. I'm done knocking Iowa. Iowa's done nothing to me. I apologize, guys. But anyway, let's keep an eye on this. No rush, although I wish they would hurry up because it'll give us something to talk about Tuesday. Nylon Green, the corner, former five-star corner, is in the portal for Georgia. He's the number four overall player in the portal right now, 6'1", 185, number 19 player in that 2021 cycle, and he's in there now. He never, look, this is the thing. He never cracked the starting rotation at Georgia, and so you can look at that and say, oh, he was a bust, or you can look at it and say, well, you can be second best in a given position unit at Georgia and still be one of the best 10 or 12 at your position in America. 
Well, we got to find out which is true, is the point. And last year, you know, we saw Denver Harris. He goes in the portal, and it, it never quite works out to where he's an elite player at LSU. But we saw Fentrell Cypress work out great for Florida State. And we, and we saw, obviously, Travis Hunter did some notable things at Colorado, didn't he? So what's Nylon Green going to be this year? Sorry, also, looks like went in the portal from Georgia. So some big defensive names from that 2021 class going in the portal. Let's see how they turn out. Juice Wells is another player that we're watching really closely because he's gotten a crystal ball to Ole Miss. Now, when we were talking to you the other day, we were talking about how Lane Kiffin is one of these guys who disproportionately is successful in the portal right now. It's still kind of early. It's not like it's a decade-long trend. But Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss know what they're doing. I'm not just saying that blindly. I know you hear me continue to say that about Ole Miss. They know how to work the portal. I don't, I don't say that pejoratively. I mean, they are very cerebral and know how to work the portal. And it looks like they may go get Juice Wells. And that's a wide receiver and one of the very best. I mean, two of their top four receivers this year were from the portal. And I'm sitting here looking at the receiver class they could have next year. Not class, the receivers they could have in fold next year. And if they add him and they get a guy returning there that they think probably will return, whoo, could be nasty. If I'm, if I'm Jackson Dart at that point, you'd have to peel me away and pull me to the NFL because I got to play with that rotation. At least one year, I'm going to have to play with that rotation. He was all SEC, was Juice Wells, by the way, in 2022. The picture is, is becoming a little more clear for where Ole Miss may be headed this cycle. And also, this is going to be a big one now, Trey Moore was an edge uh, guy up at, U or, well, I say up there. He was over there for us at UTSA. But if you're a Texas Longhorn where he is being crystal balled, He's up the road a little ways. This is uh, an important player. So 6'3", 235, edge rusher. He was the AAC Defensive Player of the Year this past year. The last two seasons, he's had 35 and a half tackles for loss, 22 sacks, been a dominant player at his position. Looks like he'll still visit Ohio State as well, but the crystal ball favorite right now is Texas. Texas is pretty cerebral in their approach as well. It's just Texas has more financial resource to work with. Translation, they got a bigger payroll. And so they can be a little more outright aggressive and, you know, kind of make you work in behind in their wake. And Texas is moving. They should be moving. That's exactly how they should operate. Academy Sports and Outdoors, sort of similar, sort of similar in the sporting goods market. You know what I take as a badge of honor? And I don't know if Academy loves this, but I take this as a badge of honor. People, when they hate on our show now, for whatever reason, they're few and far between, but when they hate on our show, they think the best way to hurt me is not to talk about my mom, it's not to talk about Jesse, and it's not to even talk bad about our show. They, they discredit Academy. They insult Academy. And they're right. That's how you cut me deep. Because, listen, truthfully... I talk bad about Jesse from time to time because he deserves it. I mean, let's not forget, he did go to a wedding in the middle of the season. He's been forgiven, just hasn't been forgotten. And, um, you know, but, but look, by, by and large, Academy Sports and Outdoors has been there for everybody in this building and everyone in this audience because you don't have to pay a dime for this show because of Academy Sports and Outdoors. And we all know the haters have never been in there anyway because you can't walk into Academy Sports and Outdoors, look around and say, no. It's just not doing it for me. But it, it, it's, it makes it no easier to read when I see it. So that's how you get me. You talk bad about Baxter, you hurt Ron Burgundy. You talk bad about Academy, that's how you hurt me. Luckily, 99% of our interactions about Academy are good and wholesome and clean and pure, just like their stores and just like Academy.com if you can't get there in person. And so uh, make them a one-stop shop. I have it on good authority that we will celebrate Christmas in a little over two weeks in this country. And I also have it on good authority. They're going to be open bright and early tomorrow, coast to coast. So make sure you get to Academy because you will not leave there with a Christmas list nearly as long as when you walked in. Take my word for it because I can vouch because I've done it several times. Let's move on. Those were very happy vibes. And I teed it up that way because unless you're an FSU or Miami or Georgia or Tennessee fan, 
LSU maybe. Uh, the show is about to take a little bit of a somber turn. and take a sip from the chalice. You know, Colin, if we would have coordinated, maybe we should have changed the mood lighting behind me, but I don't even want to risk it at this point. So we're going to keep it blue. Things aren't looking exceptionally great for Billy Napier at Florida right now. I had a question earlier today that uh, might as well have been kind of multiplied by a thousand because a lot of you have been asking about this. Anthony from Snyder, Texas hit me and said, what in your opinion does Billy Napier have to do to save the sinking ship if he even can at this point? Recruiting is falling apart. His guys are leaving. He's not winning. This is harsh. This is a harsh, harsh characterization by Riley out of Snyder, Texas, but not totally unfounded, which I hate to say. But on the field this year, let's just do the math ourselves. On the field this past year, uh, Florida looked ill-prepared at times. They were a poor executing team at times. They were undisciplined many times. And there were, there were periods like Florida had, it was like a, a lake, or, or a small ocean of miscues and lack of execution and poor preparation. And then there were little islands of execution kind of scattered about. It should be inverted. You know, it should be you have little islands of poor performance in an otherwise sea of high-level performance. That's what I expected when they hired Napier, because that's who he is. Personally, that's who he is, which is always one of the troubling signs when you're trying to judge a program in a perfect world that, that coach takes his thumb and just presses it on his program, and his thumbprint is reflected in his program. Napier's not undisciplined. Look at his history. N Napier's not a guy who doesn't have his you-know-what together, but yet Florida as a program did again this year too often. So that either means one of two things. It either means everything we thought we knew about Napier was wrong, which I don't buy, or it means whatever it takes to instill yourself and infuse yourself in your program hasn't happened with him quite yet. And there are a lot of theories around the Florida program that maybe he's got too much on his plate and maybe different staff moves need to be made. I happen to ascribe to those theories and maybe in short order, they'll be done down there. But that's on the field. One month ago, off the field, here's where the troubling signs for the future are. One month ago, off the field in the recruiting world, Florida had the number three class. And then within a week, they had three fairly high-profile decommitments. They have several players still right now on flip watch. Their number three and number four commits, it feels like, are pretty up in the air. Now, I'm old enough to know that we've looked at Napier in Florida before and said, uh-oh. And then just like that, they've been on fire, and he's tweeting out the sunglass emoji, smiley face. And so that could happen with Florida again. So I say this with a lot of trepidation in my voice. This is strictly a here and now momentary sort of thing, but it's reality in the here and now. I mean, you'd have to be a fool if you took a pulse of the Florida fan base to not notice this is how they're feeling about it too. And thirdly, all this is overlapping with them missing out on a bowl game. And then you got that along with the recruiting class being shaky and you got players portaling out of there. And you can't blame folks if they look around and say, like, what am I supposed to feel good about right now? I can't immediately give it to you. I know things change. And I know sometimes positive momentum starts to build inside an organization in a program long before the public can see it. So, you know, I hope, I trust me, I mean this, I hope that there are things that staff knows or Billy Napier himself knows are coming that we will know about in due time. But if, if that's not happening, and it's just kind of a day-to-day, -day, you know, let's take it as it comes at us, let's, let's hope tomorrow is brighter than the previous day, that's not a good thing, man. Not a good thing because, um, Jesse, out of curiosity, do we have their schedule or has it not been totally finalized? Okay, here it is. Here's the bad news. Next year, they essentially play in the NFC South. I mean, their schedule is insane. And so there's not going to be any time to sort of learn on the fly. Like I've told you for a while, I think Billy Napier's future was not tied to this past year. 
as bad as it looked on the field. I thought it was tied to the 2024 season and the 2024 recruiting class. Well, if the 2024 recruiting class, which once upon a time was top three, starts losing layers, and then the 2024 season is not any better in the win-loss column, I, I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist or be a college football historian to know what the future probably holds there. So things could change. I will admit that. I'm always a little more optimistic. I probably don't do the kind of show that you enjoy if you love to see the more negative spin placed on this stuff. I don't do many hot seat charts, but I have concerns. Let me just leave it at that. I have concerns. They're watching us in Athens, Ohio. Uh, they're watching us in LaGrange, Georgia, just up the road from Pine Mountain. And they're watching us in Lynchburg, Virginia. Thank you so much. Now, I'm a little excited to talk about what we're about to talk about, full disclosure. And I uh, appreciate you guys. If you're watching live, click the thumbs up button for me and subscribe to the channel or the podcast. We had great traffic last week. We're 30 minutes into the show. I want to share a little tidbit. Another sip from the chalice, if you'll afford me a second. Just share a little tidbit, little anecdote here. Uh, the first tidbit you should know is we actually had our first complaint in the comment section about the whale breach noise, which is this. <coughs> That's me clearing my nasal passages because this time of year I can get a little stuffy. Um, so that's that. I just wanted to tell you that. I'm not stopping because I can't. And number two, I have been over on the FSU board, over on Knowles 24-7, defending my honor and the show's honor. There's some unhappy people over there, as you would expect. But I did want to assure you of one thing, and then I'll move on. There is this assumption that, um, you know, if you, if you say something and then you try and go defend yourself, you're doing it to save traffic or save clicks because there are people still convinced we live in a, a click monetization world. Whatever. And so I just want to reiterate to you, if I say something, like, for example... I actually think Alabama should have been in the playoff, but I don't agree with the committee's reasoning for putting Alabama in the playoff ahead of FSU. I will come over to your board, especially in the 24-7 Sports Network. I'll come over to your board because I don't care about people disagreeing with me. I actually enjoy conversing. It's my job. Like, what else do I have to do during the day? I don't drive an ice cream truck or run a paper route. So I just want to speak to you guys because I, I like doing it like this rather than typing. I, if you don't like the show, you just don't watch. If you don't like the show, you leave. That's okay. Uh, that's not what I fear. We do fine. We're doing fine. We're doing better in the Tallahassee DMA right now than we were before this. So we're okay there. What I would like to do is just make sure it's conveyed properly instead of what I know happens. What happens is there are people out there who have never seen the show before, and someone's going to intentionally miscontextualize something that's said, and your only exposure to our show will be an intentionally selectively edited eight-second clip that makes us sound like we hate you, and we don't. Uh, quite the opposite with FSU. Anyone who knows me personally knows my feelings about FSU. And um, so that's why I go over there and do it. I'm not doing it to try and save you as a viewer. If you don't like the show, you don't need to be watching, or vice versa. If you like the show, forget about what anyone else says. But I was, I was going back and forth with our friends over there today, and I figured I'd just put that out here instead of trying to type it. I ne I've never thought I was, the best, I was the best disseminator of thought through the written word. All right, let's talk about this hire. Interesting. You, may, you might never have thought that you would see this school as a major topic on this show in this time of year. But I think this applies to many, many people outside of just, you know, the immediate team we're about to talk about. Jordan in Greenville, North Carolina said, will Manny Diaz win at Duke when he couldn't win at Miami with better resources? Jordan, I appreciate you. Thank you for this question. But you told a lie. Manny Diaz won at Miami. He was 21 and 15. Manny Diaz didn't fail at Miami, unless you mean by failing that he got fired, in which case 98% of coaches in history have failed. Manny Diaz went 21-15. and 15. He was fired after his third year there. His final year, he was 7-5. and five. Miami just had to fight to get to 7-5 and five this year. So 
M- Manny Diaz, I don't look at as a failure at, F- at, uh, at Miami. Now, maybe he wasn't good enough to be retained there because maybe they looked elsewhere, and it was a pretty unique circumstance, by the way. When they found out they could get Mario, they moved on from a guy they otherwise wouldn't have fired. But for the sake of argument, let's just say you're right. Let's say Manny was a failure there. That leads me to the second lie that people tell a lot of times about life and sports and college football, and that is what once was will just always be. Now, you don't believe that in your personal life. I know good and well you don't. You would never, in other words, walk in class, your spring semester coming up, and fail your first test, you know, a week and a half in, you get, you get an F on it, and you say, well, I'm out, peace, I'm a failure, we're done. You would fight the rest of the semester, probably take it even more seriously, and learn lessons and, and try and salvage at least a B. You would never give up, in other words, after you failed the first go-around. Who in the world ever convinced a lot of you that that's the way college football works? Once you've seen a head coach go one, one time around the old head coaching merry-go-round, in other words, that's just who he'll always be. Like, there's no way in college football that anyone could ever learn lessons and go through trial and error or have a different combination of staff or change philosophies or overhaul a certain approach they have. That could never happen. Whoever a coach is, when he's 28, he will be when he's 38, 48, 58, and so on. And if I've ever seen you be a head coach once, I know that it'll just be copy-paste for the rest of your existence. You ever watch Steve Sarkeesian up at Washington? You see him get fired after barely being, being above 500 after his fifth year? Did you see him out at USC? Had moderate on-field success, had trouble off the field, got fired halfway through his second year, 12 and 6. Where is he today? Where's Steve Sarkeesian? What, what is he doing for New Year's? Anyone know what Sark's doing? They tell me he's in the playoff. He's the head coach at the University of Texas, and he's in the college football playoff. He just won the Big 12 championship. He's got that program doing what they haven't done in your 13-year-old child's entire existence. How's he doing that? How's Steve Sarkeesian do that? He got opportunities, and he learned lessons. That's how he's doing it. It's exactly how Manny Diaz will do it. Manny Diaz I got to sit down with the guy in the spring. So I went up to, to State College this spring, and I sat down with him. We talked for like half an hour. Manny Diaz is about as cerebral as any human I've ever been around. There is nothing. You could put a calculus question in front of Manny Diaz, and he'd sit there for about five seconds, and he'd stare right through you, and then he'd give you a well-thought-out answer. And you'd be like, how does this dude know calculus? There is nothing you put in front of him, especially as it relates to football now, speaking real, that he has not already thought through and is not going to give you a logic-based, well-reasoned and thought-out response. And that doesn't always mean he's going to be right, and that doesn't mean he'll win every Saturday, but what it means is the guy's a learner. He's a thinker, and that kind of person is usually someone that's, that's pretty willing to evolve. So what did he do? He got fired at Miami under conditions that most guys would not have been fired under, and he didn't take a second away from the sport. He went up and, and he got aligned with one of the best programs in college football, greatly improved the side of the ball that he was responsible for, being the defensive coordinator at Penn State, and took his time, and the right job comes open, and he hops right back in it, and you got some folks who think, well, whatever he was at Miami, he just will be at Duke. I happen to believe what he was at Miami, in many cases, wasn't half bad, but there's this other part of me that says, hey, the parts that weren't all that great at Miami, how do I know they'll still be exactly what they were this time around? Like, I can promise you, there are people in this world, whether it be football coach or whether it be a repairman, when they get another opportunity after they may have dropped the ball the first time around, it eats at them. They will not rest until they fix maybe the loose lug nut here, or maybe they fix the wobbly philosophical approach over there to where when they get a shot again, when someone trusts them enough to give them another shot, they nail it. I would bet Manny Diaz nails it at Duke. I'd a whole lot more bet that than I'll bet you're watching him two or three years in and saying, oh, same old Manny from Miami. There'll be a lot of him that is the same Manny from Miami because a lot of what he did at Miami sort of worked. There may be things he needed to overhaul, and I'm sure he'd admit the same thing if we brought him on the show. I think he will. I got a lot of faith in Manny Diaz, and I think Duke made a wonderful hire. My only question 
would not have been should Duke offer the job to him. My only question would be, is he going to take it? Or is he going to sit around and wait for the absolute Grand Slam perfect spot to open up? Uh, this is a wonderful day for Duke football. They went from Mike Elko, who was killing it over there, to Manny Diaz, who I think will also kill it over there. So yeah, it's kind of a Duke football show tonight, I guess. But I, I, was, I wanted to address that because I get that all the time. Anytime a head coach that got fired his last go-around gets another shot, there's just this automatic assumption that he'll be the exact same person here that he was there. And sometimes that's the case, and usually those guys don't last long. I, I've been around Manny Diaz a little bit. He doesn't strike me as that type at all. He is a, a very sharp guy, and I'm very excited to see what he does there. Also, the other bit of good news, he's not walking in some tear-it-down-to-the-studs, ground-up rebuild either. I know Duke historically has felt like that. Not this one, not this version of Duke football. So hats off to Mike Elko, and now it, the baton gets passed to Manny Diaz. I'll be interested to see how he does there. Let's continue, shall we? Had a really good idea, revolutionary concept, and that was to talk about some of the true freshmen that just knocked us backwards this year. Tommy from Harrisburg, PA said, who are some freshmen that just had great seasons? Curious as to who you think could be the big names in the sport for years to come. Well, there is one program out there that had All-American freshmen on both offense and defense, and that's actually Miami, and it's no surprise because it's the two guys that we sat here in the spring and talked about. Uh, Francis Malanoa, the tackle, unbelievable this year and got better as the year went on, and Reuben Bain, the, uh, the edge linebacker that was unbelievable this year. He was a guy that, that offenses ended up having to circle you're worried about Reuben Bain on Tuesday, man, and he's a true freshman. So you know that we, on our spring tour, we went down there, and I think I told this story. I went, I went down to Coral Gables. We went over there early one morning to watch summer conditioning. We watched summer workouts. And so Mauanoa gets out there, probably about 340, 345, and just starts running pass routes. So fluid. You can barely even hear his feet hit the ground. And then he goes over to the jugs machine. I counted 41 balls in a row. He caught one-handed, which doesn't apply to the offensive tackle position. It just kind of showcased his athleticism. This wasn't a workout for us, by the way. I just happened to, to voyeuristically be, be peeping in, and that's just what he was down there doing. So then they start individual workouts, individual position group workouts. This kid is, is out of high school 15 minutes ago, and he's at University of Miami leading player workouts and there's no doubt there is no doubt as soon as he walks on that practice field who the alpha and the position group is and some of those dudes have been there a while and there's just no doubt because there was no doubt as soon as he stepped on campus hey he's the best we got Reuben Bain defensive lineman there same way defensive rookie of the year in the ACC led all freshmen in quarterback pressures and their recruiting class is top five in the country right now so my guess is there more on the way? It's not a shock those two names are the ones that pop. It's, it's probably a little bit more of a shock that this next name pop. Noah Fafita? It's a good question for those, for those folks we were talking about that vote on the awards in college football. How many of them do you think are intimately familiar with Noah Fafita? Now, you may be listening saying, Josh, I don't really know a whole lot about him. That's okay. You don't vote on awards. But there's some folks out there who vote on awards that couldn't even tell you that's the dude who was playing quarterback for Arizona as they went on this big run. Could I please just remind you of something? Jed Fish is amazing as a head coach. His program was amazing this year. Their over-under win total was four and a half. Then they lost their starting quarterback. Then they got better. It's not supposed to happen that way. That's not what your local preview magazine told you was in store. They, they lose Deloria. Noah Fafita is a redshirt freshman. He comes in. Over the year, he was 23-5, to touchdown to INT ratio, over a 73% completion guy. The games he started, he started against Washington. They lost by a touchdown. He started against USC. They lost in triple overtime, and he had big numbers in both of those games. Then they beat Washington State, Oregon State, UCLA, Utah, Colorado, and Arizona State. Just 
ran off an incredible string of games to end the year. He had 527 and five touchdowns against Arizona State in the bowl game. That's a freshman, a redshirt freshman, but a freshman. And unlike some of these other dudes, he's not a former five-star. Just a guy that's been sitting there in the program and he developed and now it's his time. And now all of a sudden Arizona will be on a lot of lists and a lot of covers of a lot of different publications this next summer because of him. Anthony Hill Jr. at Texas, unbelievable year. Watched him play in person two times this year. I saw him against Alabama, had two sacks that night. Um, He was second on their team in tackles this year, 6'3", 235, freshman in name only, does not look like one, never looked like one. And he was the defensive freshman of the year in the Big 12. And he is a guy that you build your defense around. They knew they had one. I mean, there was never really much guesswork from the time he stepped on campus. Kelvin Banks, the offensive tackle last year, the way they talked about him offensively at Texas, that's the way they talked about Anthony Hill Jr. defensively this year, which of course makes some people say, oh, Here comes another Texas hype job, and then those people are ghosts come December. And it didn't even take until December with Hill. Uh, Speaking of hype in spring, I think this show probably talked about Caleb Downs about as much as any national show did. I'm sure the Alabama local shows down there talked about Caleb Downs. Caleb Downs was about as sure a thing coming out of this past recruiting class as I thought Alabama had, period. And that includes Caden Proctor, who started at tackle all year for them. Keon Keeley was a top five overall player. But they signed Caleb Downs at five-star safety out of Georgia, by the way. And immediately, he steps on campus and is running with the ones in spring, which you never hear about. Saban got him and was so confident in him, he said, no, you're our starting safety. And we're going to start repping you with the ones now. So anyway, I'm getting feedback out of Tuscaloosa throughout the spring. And they're saying, like, Downs runs the defense. Like, he's out here. He's a fixture. And he just turned 18. So we get Nick Saban on the show a couple of months later. And he is notoriously resistant to heaping praise on true freshmen or any players, for that matter, until they've really, really earned it. So I asked him. I said, well, you don't have to trust me on what I said. Colin, let's roll it. When Minka Fitzpatrick came to Alabama, I remember every, every coach that watched him, every analyst that watched him, they said, you don't see many come out of high school like him. And they said the same thing about Caleb Downs this last cycle. And you've seen him through spring. Um, you've spoken glowingly of him. What kind of player could he be? He'd be great. He's, he's a very good player. Caleb is a bright guy. He's kind of a smart guy that uh, football is really important to. But he does everything to a high level in his life. He's a good person, he's a very good student, uh, he's a student of the game, and he works really hard to get it right on the field. So, um, and he's conscientious. So, I think he has a very bright future. Yeah, so um, advice piece number one, find someone who believes in you like Nick Saban believed in Caleb Downs. Number two, I'm looking at the live chat here, David Solomon said he led their team in tackles. He's not wrong. Caleb Downs, as a true freshman, led Alabama's defense in tackles this year. I had McGrady looking this up earlier today. We could not find a true freshman who has led Alabama in tackles ever. We can't find one. So as best we can tell, he's the first one to ever do that. Um, Josh Maxson can correct us if we're wrong. But, yeah, so, I mean, Malanoa, Reuben, Bain, Anthony Hill Jr., Noah Fafita, Caleb Downs, every one of those names, aside from Fafita, were prominently featured on National Signing Day. Those are five-star names. And I know the, the recruiting rankings are just a crapshoot crew out there doesn't like that. I remind you of this to remind you recruiting and signing day matter. Star rankings matter. They're not the end-all, be-all. They're not gospel. They're not printed in red. Uh, but they are deadly accurate. They are as accurate a talent indicator, and a future-facing success indicator as exists in our space. So you can, you can crap on them all you want to. You're going to end up looking foolish because, you know, they, they pan out to a much higher percentile than they don't. I would pay attention to them. And I'm speaking to you 
as a reformed doubter. I used to look at recruiting rankings and think, what do they really know? Answer, a lot more than you think they do, I guess, if you're a doubter. I'm looking at bowl season because we're about to talk about it in a second. But firstly, I want to remind you, if you've scoped out the bowl situation, if you think you have an edge, like I'm looking at this piece of paper in front of me, you know, Ole Miss plays Penn State in the Peach Bowl. The line's at FanDuel right now. If you think you have an angle on that, you better head over there. There is a lot of value still baked in to these bowl lines, and we're probably going to have some special offers for you a little bit closer to and maybe even slightly after Christmas when it comes to, oh, you know, some odds and ends in bowl season. I'm not even talking about the Ramen Noodle Express. I'm talking about above and beyond that. But in the meantime, FanDuel's got your bowl hookups, like anything you want to bet. We're going to do it responsibly, especially because I know some of you are tapped out after Christmas. And so get the Christmas spending out of the way before you go bet Tulane in a bowl game. But in an ideal world, you can do a little of both. Uh, FanDuel is our exclusive betting odds provider. Every number you see on this show is because of them. We appreciate them. Um, they're, they're fans and viewers of the show. That mattered a whole lot when we were vetting potential partners. The rest of them were, oh, we'll just, we'll just give you the same thing we gave everyone else. FanDuel was able to finish my sentences for me because they watched the show. And so uh, David and crew over there, we really appreciate that. And they would appreciate you just going and checking them out. Check them out. Don't have to do anything. Just go check them out. And we appreciate them being our partner. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Now, since I brought bowl games up, I haven't broached this yet uh, because I'm Truthfully, I'm trying to wait for opt-outs and let's see who's going and, and who's staying and who's going to play and who's going to opt out. But I figure Easy Peasy hit us up. And as you know, anytime Easy Peasy asks a question, we listen. So from Los Angeles, California, the question is, which bowl game matchups are you most anticipating? And then he said, it can be more than one. It's your show. Well, you know what? Since we got permission there, let's, let's look at four games. I thought this was the Pop-Tart Bowl. Probably the biggest disappointment of my evening is the fact that Arizona and Oklahoma are not playing in the Pop-Tart Bowl, which means, Jesse, I need you to crank the teleprompter up and tell me who is playing in the Pop-Tart Bowl. It's the only game with an edible mascot. I need to know who's playing in the game itself. So Arizona and Oklahoma are playing in the Alamo Bowl. And Arizona, I just talked about him a second ago. It's one of the hottest teams in college football. It sounds like we're talking about the National League wildcard race. Talking about hot teams all of a sudden. And this is how we'll be talking about the playoff next year. Hot teams sneaking in the back door of the playoff. Well, you know what I get to see from Arizona? I get to see, like I just said, I get to see Noah Fafita. I get to see one of the hottest teams in the sport. But on Oklahoma side, this is where the portal era gets interesting. So the casual may look and say, Oklahoma's screwed, man. They're starting quarterback left. Yeah, there's a reason he left. Uh, the reason is Jackson Arnold, and that's who we'll get to see in the bowl game. I'm looking very, very much forward to that because normally you got to wait until spring practice, you know, to get your look, your first look at your new starter. And as best we can tell, we don't have to wait until any further than the Alamo Bowl to see Jackson Arnold. And Arizona's a three-point favorite. So... 
if, if in Sooner Nation out there, you think you know that the value of Jackson Arnold is being misdiagnosed, you may have a money line special there. may have a slight underdog you want to bet straight up. I do have breaking news here, and this is breaking news on this show only. NC State and Kansas State are playing in the Pop-Tart Bowl. I happen to know some staffers on uh, one or both of those teams. So any of the swag that's given away at that bowl game, we may be able to get our hands on. And you know who you are, and you know I expect to hear from you after this call to action later tonight. Next up, the Cotton Bowl is uh, 12-29, and it's not military time. I'm telling you it's December 29th at 8 p.m. It's Missouri, Ohio State. Here's why this is interesting to me. For a long time, it seemed like the SEC would get themselves in this very, very much no-win situation in bowl season, where one of their big brand teams fell short of expectation, national championship contender doesn't go to the title game and they miss the playoff, and whatever's left of them emotionally shows up to a bowl game disinterested. And meanwhile, you got a team looking to make their mark on the college football world And what better way to do it than to take down a Goliath from the SEC? Well, all of a sudden, that little dynamic got inverted in a game like this. And now it's Ohio State with a quarterback in the portal. And Ohio State with their preseason goals out the window. And Ohio State goes to the Cotton Bowl? The Cotton Bowl's not a playoff game this year. Yeah, but that's where you're going. And you face Missouri. So, Missouri has moved all the way up to nearly a touchdown favorite. No, 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 no. They they were a dog, and now they've crossed zero, and they are a favorite of around a field goal now. How will this play out? I mean, what's reasonable for me to expect from Ohio State? I don't know. I'm pretty sure I know what level I'm going to get from Missouri. And look, that would be a good game just, just outright on a neutral field in October of this year, as it turns out. So let's see how the bowl game plays out. The Peach Bowl, the uh, Producer Jesse Bowl here, is December 30th at high noon. Ole Miss versus Penn State. Good game. Really good matchup. Penn State lost both coordinators. Yursich, they fired. Manny Diaz took the Duke job. So, you know, you you got some musical chairs being played at the coordinator spots. You also don't fully know what the opt-out situation is like Olu Fashano, we don't know if he's going to play in the bowl game. Chop Robinson's out. We don't, we don't know some of these names for Penn State. We, we think Ole Miss is pretty much good to go. And I got Lane Kiffin just steadily cheering the departures on. I mean, Chop Robinson announces that he is foregoing the bowl game to prepare for the NFL draft. Lane Kiffin retweets it. Best of luck. Congrats on the great career. Manny Diaz, defensive coordinator, says, I'm leaving Penn State. Kiffin, retweet. Congrats. There is uh, Lane Kiffin is one of one in this sport. I'll just leave it at that. And the Citrus Bowl, not to be forgotten, the old New Year's Day 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff down there from Orlando, Florida. And we got Tennessee versus Iowa. And I know what most people think. Most people think, well, not most people. I know what most coaches think when they look at Iowa. Outside of the Big Ten, most offensive coaches look and say, They are made to look like they are defensively because they never have to face any high-level offenses. And so Stats and Info pulls it up today, and sure enough, you know what the best offenses Iowa faced this year were? Uh, Illinois, Penn State, and Michigan. Those teams are ranked in the 60s offensively. And uh, there are are a few truths in an uncertain world, but one of them is Tennessee is a little bit different caliber offensively than the teams I just mentioned or at least we think they are on paper, they rank 17th in the country in total yards per game. We all know how valuable that stat is, but you get what I'm saying. Tennessee packs a little bit more offensive punch, and so we get to see Iowa versus a pretty good offensive team, and we, we just ask ourselves, what's the point total? What's the number? Is this one of those games where Tennessee scores 17 and you win? Uh, will Iowa break out every bit of trickeration offensively known to man and you know, make you score 21 or 24 to win. I, uh, I look forward to win. I, look, I always look forward to the Citrus Bowl. When is the last time the Citrus Bowl was a bad matchup? Always seems like a good matchup. So been to that game a couple times myself. I would encourage both fan bases, make your way down there. Uh, go get yourself some quality putt-putt the night before and 
then go get yourself a nice moderate sunburn the day of the game. Like, what more could you want than to be in Florida in early January? That's all I got for you tonight. Make sure you're following on the socials at Late Kick Josh because there is a ton of stuff going on all around the sport right now. Uh, we'll be back same time as usual Tuesday night. Until then, for producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.